Well, hello, everybody. It is great to see all of you who I have opportunity to see in person. It's also great to welcome those I can't see in person, perhaps on our Moon campus today or in the classic venue listening in or maybe online. Wherever you are taking part in this, you are a part of our Pathway family, and it is a pleasure to be together. Today we are continuing on in our What's the Point sermon series and uh, very much looking forward to taking us into a section that turns a page a little bit from from where we've been, and uh, we'll unfold that as we make our way along. So as we get started, I'm wondering, has anybody ever told you to wise up? To wise up, I see a lot of heads nodding, a lot of affirmative to that. Well, there was a guy who should have been told to wise up after he pulled a particular stunt. He went into Walmart. Anybody going into Walmart, you know it's going to be kind of an interesting story, right? He went, he went into Walmart, and he went to the freezer section, and the guy went and he pulled out a half gallon of ice cream. This is a true story. I'm not making this up. Pulled out a half gallon of ice cream, took the lid off of it, licked the ice cream several times, put the lid back on, and put it back in the freezer. That's what he did. Not making, not making that up. I, I feel like I'm the guy who always comes and shops after those people somehow, you know? And by the way, does that mean that that ice cream was then French to vanilla? Uh, I don't know. I mean, I'm just wondering. I mean, it just came to my mind. I was just kind of wondering. Maybe it is. I don't know, but you can figure that out. But it, there was also evidence that the guy needed to wise up because then he took, he had a friend take a video of him doing this and he posted it online. Then he's wondering, why did I get caught? It's like, come on, dude, wise up. Wise up. Well, it's been said that wisdom is, is a rare commodity in the world in which we live, and, and that guy's certainly proving that to be true. And it is a bit of a rare commodity, but it's worth the effort to go after it and to try to find it, because as we do so, then it's going to set us up to live a life that is very different. We're being called to wise up to be sure. And today we're going to consider that, and we're going to take a look at somebody who's going to assist us along the way, somebody who's been known as the wisest person in the world. And, and no, it's not Pastor Jason, though he's up there. A lot of times people try to figure out who's the wisest person in the world, and they come back with maybe Socrates, or maybe Einstein, or Mother Teresa. Around here sometimes people say Mike Tomlin, though probably not this year. But the scriptures talk about who's the wisest person. And we've talked about this before. It comes down to this guy, King Solomon. King Solomon, the wisest person. And there's a lot of evidence that Solomon indeed was very wise. He wrote a whole book of Proverbs, which are wise little sayings. And if you read your way through that book of Proverbs, you find that indeed this guy knew what he was talking about. And if we would live our lives based on the things that he's written for us there, it would set us up for some tremendous success. Well, today we're going to take a look at some other Proverbs that he wrote, but it's not in the book of Proverbs. They're written down somewhere else. There's some things that he wrote down as he was processing his way through a, a really difficult time in his life. 
as he was struggling and he was trying to figure out the direction that he was to go. He was trying to figure out meaning and purpose and, and value and fulfillment and all of those things. And, and he was finding everything to be empty. But all along the way, he's jotting down these notes. And, and we've been taking a look at some of that, actually, in recent weeks. Then right after he tells us all of these things that are meaningless, he all of a sudden turns this corner and now it's like, well, let me tell you some things that can provide, that can help you out, that can take you toward the direction of wisdom. And so we've been actually looking at the place where he wrote all of those things down. It was sort of a diary kind of turned into a book. And we call that book Ecclesiastes. And the primary place where you find this book of Ecclesiastes is in the Bible. And I would invite you to go ahead and turn, if you would, to the book of Ecclesiastes in chapter 7. We're just about halfway through our look at this book, but today we see a rather significant corner that gets turned as we look at the topics that he is addressing for us here. For the first six chapters, Solomon has been telling us of all the things that are puzzling him, all of the things that he can't figure out, where he's missing meaning. Now all of a sudden this week, it's like, well, now I got it. It's like all of a sudden a light switch almost goes on and he's like, here, let me tell you a little something about where wisdom can be found. So it's fascinating to take a look at this. It's been like he's been in this long, dark night of the soul and all of a sudden the dawn is starting to come on a brand new day for him. And instead of telling us what doesn't supply, now he's giving us some of these gems of wisdom. And this encourages me because I've had circumstances in my life where I've tried to go after something that I thought was going to give meaning and, and it ended up being pretty empty and, and chances are you've probably navigated your way through some of those same sorts of things yourself and it, it might be that it was some sort of an, an item that you thought, well if I've got that then, then I'm going to find more, more meaning and more enjoyment and more happiness in life and so the thing you went after might have been like a pool or or a tool, or maybe a new jewel, or I don't know what, but it might have been something that you were going after. Or it might be that, that for you, one of the things that you've gone after would be certain activities that you thought, well, if I get engaged in that, now I'm going to feel more fulfillment. Or it might be career that you've poured yourself into. Or it might be money that you've run after. It might be a relationship that you thought, that's the answer to the things that I'm missing in this life, and so we run after those things. And if we're honest, it's possible that we're still, right now, even as we consume this passage together, that you would have to say, you know what, there's still some things that I'm kind of running after. There's still some things that I think are going to supply and, and provide, and they can satisfy for a time. That's why they were so alluring in the first place. That's why we ever went after them in the first place. But in time, they start to lose their luster. And all of a sudden, the things that fulfilled to such a great degree aren't fulfilling so much anymore. But we've been spending a lot of time and energy and hope thinking that those things might ultimately provide. And if we're courageous and humble enough today to acknowledge it and to admit it, we can understand even as we get started that where we need to go is to pull back from those pursuits and, and pursue that which Solomon is now telling us, this is what I've found and this is where we can go. This is telling us to wise up. 
Now, what exactly does that look like? Well, that's where this text takes us. And Solomon had this same sort of experience, and we step into his journey here in chapter 7 of Ecclesiastes, right, where he starts to drop some of these bits of wisdom in the form of, of Proverbs to make life better than what it was. In fact, that word better is central to these early verses of chapter 7. We'll see it coming back, that this is better than that and that that is better than that. And it actually inspires the first point that I want to start with here today, and that is that wisdom will make life better. Wisdom will make life better. The specifics of what Solomon has to say are incredibly relevant for us, but the way that he says them, the way that he writes them, might cause you to scratch your head a little bit. It might cause you to have to stop to think and sort of ponder, well, well, what is it he's really trying to say? And, and some of that is intentional, so that we might stop to think and stop to ponder. Proverbs typically are things that come in just short little sections, even like just a verse, and there's, there's a lot that we can just ponder in a verse. But he says some of these things in some kind of head-scratching ways. But if we will stop and think and ponder, there's some definitely things here that'll help us to wise up. So let's go ahead and jump into this text, and I think you'll see some of this as we go. Chapter 7 and verse 1 is where he writes this, a good name is better than fine perfume, and the day of death is better than the day of birth. It is better to go to a house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting. For death is the destiny of everyone. The living should take this to heart. Frustration is better than laughter because a sad face is good for the heart. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of pleasure. Now, did any of that kind of catch you off guard? Did any of that sort of sound backwards to you? I don't think Anybody in 21st century America is going to go to Solomon for some pithy motivational sayings, right? I don't think you're ever going to have this mug. A sad face is good for the heart. Yet that's what he just wrote here in this text. I don't think you're ever going to have this on your wall. The day of death is better than the day of birth. I just don't think you're going to have it. You're not going to run down and pick these things up at Hobby Lobby. That they're not going to have it there on the shelf. They're not. It sounds very backwards. So what is it that Solomon is trying to say to us? Well, it's not just that he's morbid. It's not just that he can't find any joy in life. In fact, he can if you look into the book of Proverbs, which he also wrote. And see this, he writes, A cheerful heart is good medicine. Well, it doesn't sound like it. He also wrote this in Proverbs. A cheerful, the cheerful heart has a continual feast, and who doesn't like to eat, right? Solomon is not being some kind of killjoy here in this text, so there's got to be some important point that he's trying to make, and it could very well be that he's using some of this poignant kind of unusual language to try to arrest our attention, and now that he's got our attention, what he wants to say to us is, I want you to reflect on the end of things. He says that death rather than birth just doesn't sound right. Because everybody loves a good baby shower, right? Well, every woman loves a good baby shower. A guy's not so much into that. But everybody loves feasting, and he talks about that. But he says, you know what? What's better than that? What's better than birth and the baby shower and the feasting and, and the tailgating? You know what's better than that? He says, better than that is going to the house of death, is going to the funeral home. 
That's better. That's what you really ought to do. That's what he's saying here. Why? Because there's a purpose in that. He says, because when you do that, it brings you face to face with your mortality. It brings you face to face with the fact that you're heading there. And as you sit there in the funeral home and you're listening to somebody talking about and summarizing this guy's life, it's like it's one of the only times that we actually stop to ponder our own mortality and stop to think about the fact that we're going to be the one who's carried into the funeral home at some point. And what are those people going to say about me when that time comes? See, we're very good at living superficial lives, of not really digging deep, not really thinking about the significant things of life, not thinking about the fact one day we are going to be carried into the funeral home. And so what he's saying here, that's a very positive benefit to us because it causes us to stop and think. It causes us to evaluate. What are they going to say? And it gives us opportunity to then say, I'm not sure what they'll say. I'm not sure they have much to say. And so it leads us and prompts us to live lives that would be promoting honor and ones that are building esteem and ones that are building respect and doing the sorts of things that lead people to recognize that there's some depth and some significance to the life that I'm living, that I'm living a life of wisdom. And he says, if pondering, going into a house of mourning is the thing that gets you to think, then so be it, then so much the better to get us to think with wisdom. The psalmist agrees. He writes this in Psalm 90, teach us to number our days, to consider our mortality, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. That's how important it is. That's where he wants us to go. So Solomon goes on, then in verse five, he says, it's better, there's that word again, to heed the rebuke of a wise person than to listen to the song of fools. Like the crackling of thorns under the pot, so is the laughter of fools. This too is meaningless. We love to hear it when people sing our praise, when they say wonderful things about us. If you've got anybody who'll say those things about you. Hopefully you've at least got a grandmother who thinks you're pretty special, right? But better than listening to flowery praise from somebody else, he says, is someone who will tell you to wise up Someone who will tell you and give you some evaluation on here's what I see going on in your life. Let me tell it to you like it is so that we might actually be able to make some significant change or some significant movement in our life instead of just living in the flowery, living in the superficial, that we might actually be a changed people deep in the inside that will prepare us for that trip to the funeral home, essentially. So then Solomon goes on in verse 7 and following, and all of a sudden there's no more of that confusion. It's not that head-scratching sort of stuff. It's much more straightforward. Look at it, verse 7. Extortion turns a wise person into a fool, and a bribe corrupts the heart. Well, that makes sense. I get that. The end of the matter is better than the beginning, and patience is better than pride. I get that too. Better to listen and learn than to assume that you know everything and then just start to show people how much of a fool you are as you start to live that out goes on, verse 9, do not be quickly provoked in your spirit, for anger resides in the lap of fools. And I can hardly think of a more timely word for the context that we live in 
today. What we have today are people who hold extremely strong opinions, and more so than ever before. It's true when it comes to COVID and to masks and all that stuff, when it comes to politics, when it comes to race relations, and there are a lot of very short fuses, and people are very quick to get provoked in their spirit, and anger rises up very rapidly on these things, and there's a lack of patience toward another person or toward another point of view, and it only serves to allow higher and higher walls to be established and built between people. And today we've got that very thing that exists in our culture in great degree, very high walls that have been built. And what Solomon is saying here is that those attitudes that take you to that place reside in the hearts or in the lap of fools. He says that's what you're demonstrating, not your, not your great belief and your great uh, staunch position. He says, if you can't have relationship with one another because of the strength of the position you hold and it takes you to this point of anger, then that's just demonstration of an attitude that only lives in the lap of fools. We need to have the humility and patience to resist the provocation so that we can have a meaningful dialogue. It doesn't mean that you have to agree with the, pers- the other person's point of view, but it does mean that we need to be willing to listen to another person You've got a message you want them to hear where they're not going to be listening to your message if you're not listening to theirs, if there can't be dialogue, if there can't be at least be some sort of mutual respect based on the fact that we're both made in the image of God. So if you think that you have something that needs to be heard, start listening. Sounds backwards, doesn't it? But it's absolutely true. If you think you have something that needs to be heard, start listening. Verse 10 goes on. Do not say... Why were the old days better than these? For it is not wise to ask such questions. This is Solomon sort of, in my day, or when I was a kid. That's kind of his verse where he's talking about those sort of attitudes. And you probably don't like it when people talk that way toward you or when somebody says that toward you and Solomon doesn't either. He agrees and he actually says that's pretty detrimental for a couple of reasons. It's detrimental because usually that's spoken as a complaint and just demonstrates the sort of attitude of heart. And it also isn't very helpful because it's only taking a look back and it's actually keeping us and looking back and wishing that things were what they were to keep us from constructively moving towards something in the future. Besides, it could also very well be that your memory isn't all that good anyway about what was because it wasn't uphill both ways to school. It wasn't through five feet of snow and 30 below temperatures. That's not what it was. So Solomon is encouraging us to focus forward to where there's this possibility that we can actually do something productive with the circumstances that we find ourselves in. Because nothing productive is going to come from only looking back and wishing things were what they were. We need to accept the fact that things are what they are and do that which we can to move them forward according to wisdom. That may very well lead to a point of view that may very well lead to an outcome that isn't unlike maybe what things were at one point. But to only be looking back, to only be saying, oh, I wish it were like it was, and have that to consume us to the point where we're not doing something about the circumstances it is today is counterproductive. Solomon says that, too, is an attitude that demonstrates that you're operating out of the lap of fools, as it were. So, some very, very timely wisdom there. 
That speaks directly to the circumstances that we live today. And here's Solomon writing that 3,000 years ago. But God's Word is living and active, and it speaks to our circumstance today. So, provides wisdom to make life better. That's one thing that wisdom will do. And there's another we see as we go on, and that is that wisdom will give perspective. Wisdom will give perspective. And it'll do it in any of a number of different realms. I want to point out a few to you here. One is it'll give perspective on what's hard to understand. Wisdom will help you understand the things in life that are hard to understand. Let's take a look at some of these next verses, starting in verse 11. It says, wisdom, like an inheritance, is a good thing and benefits those who see the sun. He's saying, wise up. Wisdom is a shelter, as money is a shelter, but the advantage of knowledge is this. Wisdom preserves those who have it. Wise up, he says. And then comes the central verse in this section that we're looking at right here. Don't miss it. Verse 13. Consider what God has done. Who can straighten what he has made crooked? When times are good, be happy. But when times are bad, consider this. God has made the one as well as the other. Therefore, no one can discover anything about their future. It is meaningless. In this meaningless life of mine, I have seen both of these, the righteous perishing in their righteousness and the wicked living long in their wickedness. In other words, he's saying things don't always seem very fair. That's his way of saying it. Do not be over-righteous, self-righteous, neither be over-wise, full of yourself. Why destroy yourself? Do not be over-wicked and do not be a fool, in other words, pursue a godly standard. Why die before your time? It is good to grasp the one and not let go of the other. Whoever fears God, whoever wises up, he says, will avoid all extremes. Again, the central idea here in these verses comes in verse 13, which I highlighted for you as we made our way along. When he talks about these things that are crooked, and what he means by things that are crooked are things that are painful, things that are difficult, Things like evils, things like injustice, things like suffering, things that all of us have trouble processing and dealing with when it comes our way. Sorting out those pieces of life can be a real challenge. Solomon dealt with it himself. And this verse here, verse 13, actually hearkens us back all the way to chapter 1, where he said something very similar, which was this, what is crooked cannot be straightened. This is back chapter 1. It sounds a lot like chapter 7. What is crooked cannot be straightened. What is lacking cannot be counted. Now again, that's very similar to verse 13 in chapter 7, but there's one thing that is very, very different about chapter 7 as it is compared to chapter 1, and I wonder if you can notice it as I read verse 13 of chapter 7 for you. It says this, Consider what God has done. Who can straighten what he has made crooked? So what we have in chapter 7 that we don't have back in chapter 1. Chapter 1 is where he's struggling to figure out meaning. I cannot figure it out. Life, what's it all about? What's the point, he keeps saying. What is very different in chapter 7 from chapter 1 is all of a sudden in chapter 7, we've got God. We've got Solomon contemplating the same circumstance, only now with an attitude and, a, and an understanding of the presence of God that he's been ignoring sort of up to this point. And also what we have in chapter 7, we didn't have back in chapter 1, then for Solomon is a sense of peace and a sense of confidence. 
in where things are. Solomon's acknowledging that there are things, times in life, when things are crooked, when things don't always go the way that he wanted them to go. And the same thing is true for us. There are circumstances that go crooked, not according to plan in our respect also. But instead of the despondence we see back in chapter 1, now he's got confidence. That's because he sees God's hand in it. And that's what gives him the confidence. He still doesn't know why these things have to be crooked, but he knows that if God's hand is on it, then he's going to accomplish something good out of it. And that's the thing that gives him now the confidence. And this is so important for us because things get crooked sometimes in our lives also. We have things that we have trouble understanding. You're going to wish that they weren't there. You're probably going to try to pray them away. And sometimes they go away and sometimes they don't go away. Sometimes they linger and they stay, and they're very determined to stay. But either way, we can have the confidence to know that as hard as it might be, God can and will use those circumstances for good. It might not be according to our timetable. It might not be according to our will. It might not be what we think the right outcome for this ought to be, but if it's according to God's will, then it's going to be that which is best. So important to keep in mind. There are different things that God accomplishes when we walk through challenges. It might be to draw us to Christ. It might be to draw us back to Christ. As we go through periods of time when we start getting wayward and we all of a sudden find that we're, we've wandered off, that God allows something to come to draw us in. And as He does so to bring us out of a place of wandering away from Him, then that's His grace in our life. Not any sort of meanness or mean-spiritedness. It might be to accomplish something to keep us from greater harm. It might be so that the gospel might be that much more evident in our lives and through our lives to have influence on some family member or on some friend or maybe in our community. It's nice when we get to see and get to understand the whole thing, but sometimes we're just not given that opportunity. But what we can always know is that when things are crooked in our life, God is working and using that crooked thing to straighten something else out. Maybe in our life, maybe in the life of somebody else, but it's never a wasted circumstance. Wisdom will give us that perspective and that confidence. So, wisdom will give perspective on what's hard to understand, and also, secondly, on the nature of the heart. Look at these verses, they're interesting. Verse 19, wisdom makes one person more powerful than ten rulers in a city. Wow. That's pretty powerful. Now, you need to understand that this isn't intended to be a slam on city leaders or a slam on the government. He could have used 10 anything that he wanted to use. It could have been 10 lawyers. It could have been 10 doctors. It could have been 10 cat owners, for that matter. It just doesn't matter because it's not about the 10. It's about the one, and the one has wisdom. He's saying where one person has wisdom, it leads them to a place of greater power, greater strength, greater integrity, greater outworking of what's going on in their heart, then 10 other people can manifest all on their own apart from wisdom. That's what he's saying. So it's a good pat on the back for the one who is wise. Verse 20, indeed, there is one on earth, there is no one on earth who is righteous, those are those non-wisdom people, no one who does what is right and never sins. Again, more evidence of how rare genuine wisdom is in the benefit for the one who has it. Verse 21, do not pay attention to every word people say, or you may hear your servant cursing you. 
That's never fun. That's kind of the the thing where you write this uh, nasty thing and you send it by email and accidentally your boss was copied, you know? That's kind of this thing in an ancient context. He's saying that there, where there's a lack of wisdom, there's probably going to be some slander. There's probably going to be some people working toward their own benefit and not yours. There's going to be name-calling. So at this point, if you think you're walking in wisdom, you're feeling pretty good about yourself because of all of this on the other side of the ledger that he's talking about, how little they are able to bring to the table. And so it's easy to feel pretty puffed up about ourselves. And then that's about the moment that Solomon throws in this zinger in verse 22. So following from verse 21, it said, Do not pay attention to every word people say, or you may hear your servant cursing you. For, now verse 22, you know in your heart that many times you yourself have cursed others. Ouch. (laughs) That's just a little too close to home. Solomon wants his readers to wise up because it definitely sets them apart from most of the operating procedures all around them. But be careful, he says, because you too have a sin nature, and if all it does is lead you down this road of self-righteousness or superiority, that's going to come back to bite you. So he says, yes, wisdom can definitely give perspective. He says on the nature of the heart, and then there's one more thing as the text concludes, and that is on the failures of life. Wisdom will give perspective on the failures of life. Unfortunately, Solomon doesn't seem to have a very optimistic view of the people who are around him. Verse 23, all this I tested by wisdom, and I said I I am determined to be wise. But this was beyond me. Whatever exists is far off and most profound. Who can discover it? So I turned my mind to understand, to investigate, and to search out wisdom and the scheme of things, and to understand the stupidity of wickedness and the madness of folly. He's saying achieving wisdom is definitely possible, but it's not automatic. It's going to require great intentionality. It's not something that just happens. It's not, well, I belong to Jesus. I have a relationship with Jesus, so I am wise. No, no, that is not a one-to-one correlation. Do you have a leg up toward finding wisdom? Absolutely. Do you know the one in whom wisdom resides? Yes, absolutely. Is it something that you should be pursuing? Absolutely. Should you be able to have? Yes, no doubt about it. Do you always? No, you don't. This is something that requires intentionality, something that requires humility, something that requires a courage to run and say to God, I am not there. Help me to find my way forward. That's what this is. Then, He speaks to some of the things that can derail the pursuit of wisdom. Verse 26 says, I find more bitter than death the woman who is a snare, whose heart is a trap and whose hands are chains. The man who pleases God will escape her, but the sinner she will ensnare. He's saying path to righteousness is found through God. And there are a lot of temptations that are there that might lead you astray. Verse 27, look, says the teacher, this is what I have discovered adding one thing to another to discover the scheme of things. While I was still searching but not finding, I, not finding, I found one upright man among a thousand, but not one upright woman among them all. Now, don't, don't get this wrong. This is not some sort of value judgment that he is saying applies to all men and to all women. That's not what this is about. Sol- Solomon has elsewhere made very clear the value and, and the blessing of women. If you go and you read your way through Proverbs, you will see again and again and again, he comes and he speaks about the character of women. He speaks about their nobleness and 
that they are very wise themselves. So this is not setting up, he's not saying anything about the nature of, of women and men and contrasting them. So, so don't go there with, with this. Look at the whole body of what Solomon has to say. Verse 29, this only have I found. God created mankind upright, but they have gone in search of many schemes, which may be true, but that doesn't mean that wisdom is hard to discover. It doesn't even mean it's difficult to embrace and to live. It just requires that we would be intentional about going after it and that we would make it a commitment of spirit and heart and soul. To be intentional means to turn to the one who grants wisdom and the ability to overcome our selfish desires, and that person is Jesus. And I'm convinced that if those who claim the name of Jesus would pursue and walk in that wisdom that is available to them, that what we would be experiencing in our world today is revival. I'm absolutely convinced of that. If the church sold out to wisdom, that there would be revival in the church, there would be revival in community, there would be revival in our courts. I don't have any doubt about that. As goes the nature of our hearts, so goes our witness. See, it's easy to look at the world around us and think, if only those people over there, if only that group over there, if they would just repent from their sin, if they would just stop their behavior, then everything would be well in our world. God's blessing could fall. And that'd be wonderful if that happened, but I believe that we're looking to the wrong people to take the first step. I believe that it is incumbent upon the people of God, the ones who claim the name of Jesus to step forward and to be the first ones to change their own hearts and their own minds and their own lives. I believe that it's incumbent upon us to be the change that we want to see in this world and the way that we get there is through living in wisdom and applying that in relationship because where that is seen, it is going to be a witness that is so winsome that people are going to want to know what is different because wisdom is a very unusual commodity in our world today. What did he say earlier? That one wise person has greater power than 10 others. That's the power of wisdom. That's the power of what is so out of perspective in our world today. It's just something that we don't see around us and executed, and we have the opportunity to take that forward and the responsibility. Paul says this in the New Testament. You want something out of the New Testament? Here you go, Ephesians 5. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity. There are all sorts of opportunities around us, but if we're living unwise instead of wise, we're wasting those opportunities because the days are evil. He says, evaluate what's going on in your life. You're like, okay, I'm evaluating, but, but how do I find that wisdom? Great question. Let's look to the brother of Jesus, James. He, he writes this. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. Ask God. Have the courage and the humility to acknowledge, you know what, I don't think I'm one of those who's operating out of wisdom. If you look around in your life, there might be a few people that would, you would look at and you'd say, that's a wise person. Because you see, they encounter all the same problems you do. You see that they encounter all the same challenges and, and setbacks to life that you do. Yet there's some, some way that they've got some sort of control 
over themselves. They've got some sort of perspective that, that you struggle to take on. It's like there's something different there, and it moves you and your spirit, and it's going to move others as they see it as well. How do you get to that place? How do you live that out? Ask God. Ask God to provide that. Now, does that just mean, poof, it's there? And God leads us there. He also invites us into the place where we're filling ourselves up with who he is and what he has given to us. So I just want to leave you with a little exercise as we wrap this up today. And that is that you would go about filling yourself up with wisdom. Here's a simple exercise to move in that direction. That over the course of the next week, you can go longer. I'd encourage you to go the next month because it starts to establish habits. You can't establish a habit usually in a week, but you can in a month. That you would take and you would just open up to the book of Proverbs. The Proverbs, Proverbs is wisdom literature, and it is just chock full with wisdom gems that we can take and we can appropriate into our lives. So what I'd encourage you to do is at least over the course of this next week, just pick one chapter in Proverbs, somewhere from chapter 10 on to the end. Don't go to the early chapters. That, explain, that explains what wisdom is, and it's important stuff, but, but if you want to just get into the gems of, of wisdom, somewhere from chapter 10 to the end of Proverbs. Every day, read a few. Like I said earlier, Proverbs is best consumed in small doses in small bites. So take a verse. Maybe one verse is all you take that day. Read it. Ponder it. Ask yourself, what is there for me in this? What truth is there for me to learn, and what truth is there for me to apply? Maybe you end up taking as many as five verses in a day. That's fine. Wh whatever, however much. It's just, it doesn't read like a narrative where it's one story that takes ten verses. It's not like that. And just read it. Take it in. Pray it through. Ask God, what wisdom is there here for me to incorporate into my life? If you want to get a little extra credit beyond that, then go to James. James is kind of thought of to be the wisdom literature of the New Testament. And there's so much that is there to it. It kind of reads a little bit the same, but in a very different style. But I encourage you, start in Proverbs, chapter 10 to the end, somewhere in there, one chapter this week, and just dig into it and ask the Lord to make you wise, to help you to wise up. And I know, I'm confident that he will honor that prayer. And it'll be interesting to see for you where he takes you and what it is that he pours into your life as you then seek to take that and live it out in the relationships that you're in, in the context that you're in, in your workplace, among your family, among your friends, among your neighbors. Because his wisdom will not return void. So we take it forward the world will be impacted. That is not hyperbole. That is the reality of the matter. Ask God, and he will provide. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are a people who have wisdom at our fingertips. We hold it in our hands in your word. We, we hear it read. We hear it spoken week after week after week. Yet we sometimes allow it to go in one ear and out the other, or we think that, well, of course, we're the wise people because we, we know Jesus, when really we're operating by, as we talked about last week, some sort of consumer mentality instead of, of genuinely walking and walking as a follower of Christ, 
And so may we not just be making assumptions that we're just right where we need to be because we have this, this understanding of Jesus. That's a great starting point, but it's only a starting point. And so today we read a text like this that urges us to, to jump off into new things, to, to live as wise and to allow that to influence in the relationships that we have. But Lord, we need to learn it first. We've seen what Solomon has to say about this and why there's such benefit in doing so. Lord, I just pray, we ask that you would help us all to wise up. That we would be not just people who understand what the scriptures say, it's impossible to be wise until we start to apply what the scriptures have to say. And so, Lord, may we be those people. Lord, uh, give, us the, give us the patience to jump into reading our way through some Proverbs and just taking the time to process even just a single verse or just a group of small verses, small group of verses. And I pray that you would teach us and I pray that it would so whet our appetite that we just desire to be in it more and more and more, that we might start to learn and understand what we've thought we've known all along, but where we've had some sort of deficiency. Lord, thank you for the examples of wisdom that we have around us in people and in godly individuals. We pray that that might inspire, and we pray that we would be those people walking in your wisdom, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen.